Let's turn in our uh, books of praise to Lord's Day 17. Here we have the discussion of Christ's resurrection. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he could make us share in the righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are raised up to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. Beloved in the Lord, the foundation of the power, the power of the gospel is the resurrection. It's the announcement that not only has God accepted the offering of Christ on the cross, but at the same time God has given us righteousness and life in him. The resurrection... The fact that the tomb is empty. The fact that God raised our Lord up. It empowers the cross. It makes what Christ accomplished on the cross work. God announces in the resurrection that he will establish his son as king. So that the throne of King David will be filled forever. It's the resurrection, the fact that we have a living Lord that has allowed Christians to witness to Christ through suffering, trials, and often death. Many traditions have martyrs. In the early days of Islam, certain Arabs were taken by their enemies, other Arabs in this case, and died for their faith cursing their enemies. They had, these men had, the stamina and the fortitude to die for their religion. Marxists, too, have died for the ideal of communism, for their own ideals. When somebody really believes in something, it's amazing the length they will go to for that belief. What gives the Christian martyr his courage and fortitude so that he can still suffer or die for the name of Christ 2,000 years after Christ? What gives the Christian the ability to hold on to Christ through the worst sort of adversity? What allows the Christian to bless his enemies? It's the resurrection of Christ. The fact that he remains alive today at the right hand of God. We begin at the extreme martyrdom. But it's so much more than that. All the good we receive, all the good that we do, the power to change is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I bring you the word of the Lord under the theme, the resurrection takes away the fear of death. First, so that I can share in his righteousness. Second, so that I can have incorruptible life. And third, so that I can have an eternal future. 
The Lord takes away the fear of death. But Christians still fear death. I have moments when I am still afraid. So let's be more specific. The Lord takes away any reason, any reason to fear death. Our flesh is weak, and we still often fear death. The point here is we don't need to fear death or death-like experiences. Remember, as I say this, too, and it's important to bring this out because we all know how far we fail in this, that the Lord knows our weaknesses. He himself sweat drops of blood as he prepared for his death. The difference is that we do not do so under the wrath of God. Our suffering has nothing to do with the wrath of God, whereas Christ did. And that, in fact, is all the difference. My point is that we don't need to fear death. We can, as Paul say, says, account it all joy to suffer for the sake of Christ. You see, we're grounded in a hope that martyrs for other causes do not really have, even by their own logic. Muslim martyrs, they don't have a guarantee that Allah will look upon their sacrifice with favor. Yes, they have a promise, but Allah is ultimately a very capricious God if you look a little further into that religion. Those who die or suffer for democracy or communism, they don't have any promise that they will enjoy the fruits of their sacrifice. Yet because we have a Lord who has risen from the dead, we do. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if we can't hope for a real bodily resurrection, we are most to be pitied. In our reading today from Hebrews 11, we heard about the faith of the Old Testament saints, how they hoped for a city that has foundations, whose, whose designer and builder is God. We're told, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. We see the hope of the Old Testament saints and their willingness to die for their beliefs, to die for God, find the answer to that hope in Christ, his death and resurrection, in what Christ is doing in bringing many sons to glory. So we together with the Old Testament saints find the fullness of the glory of God. Through faith, a trust that what Christ did on the cross belongs to me, the benefits of the resurrection also belong to me. And the first benefit is righteousness. Christ overcame death so that I can share in his righteousness. Christ fulfilled the promise for all believers throughout history. Christ accomplished the forgiveness of my sins by the death that he experienced on the cross. Romans 24, 24, and 25 say it this way. 
It, righteousness, will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses. That's a reference to the cross. Delivered up onto the cross and raised for our justification. In the death of Christ, we find the end of our trespasses. Our sins are removed from us as far as, we, as, as, far as east is from west. But if that is all, we would still have nothing credited to us. He was raised for our justification. We have all his righteousness because God raised our Lord Jesus from the dead. Because he's a living Lord, he's able to share that righteous with, uh, righteousness with us. God said, I accept this sacrifice and his blood is able to cover the sins of my saints so that they too may be righteous before me. So how does sharing in Christ's righteousness take away the fear of death? That's because death is the punishment for my sin. We fear death and death-like things because we sense a punishment in it. The world will speak of karma. And that's a Hindu word, but it's very much a part of all belief systems, apart from Christianity. The belief that my mistakes come back to me, that life will deliver a sort of justice for what I did wrong earlier in life. And I'm actually wrong to say that that's not part of Christianity, because there is a bit of Christian truth there. There's a bit of Christian truth behind this, although it's better called the sovereignty of God or general providence. God does bring the sins of the unrepentant back on their own heads. Now, we have to be careful about this because it's not something that we can quantify, but the concept is clearly in the scriptures. Your sin will find you out. Numbers 3.23. Our fear of death is often connected to our guilt. This is why the Proverbs can say, the wicked are afraid of a falling leaf. But in Christ, I no longer need to hold on to that feeling of guilt. Right? Karma doesn't work that way anymore in Christ. That burden, any guilt, may be removed from me. Yes, I will feel guilt, but I no longer need to. This is because the power of sin is broken in Christ. That's the point of 1 John 4. Perfect love casts out fear. We've applied it to, we can apply that to many things, but ultimately what John wants us to know is that fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. My fear of death, pain, and suffering are then closely related to my status before God. I don't need to fear those things. 
That isn't to say that I should like suffering or should seek pain. We will still avoid these things, and that's perfectly fine, as long as in avoiding them, we do not forget to show love for others and for God. Since we opened with mar uh, martyrs, let me add, the church has always said that seeking martyrdom is wrong. But if I am confident in my status before God, then necessary pain and suffering are bearable, especially when they are in the service of the kingdom of God. We do not fear them because we do not fear the wrath of God. We do not fear his punishment. The Old Testament had the promise that this was coming, but they did not actually see the mechanism for the removal of all their sins and the fact that they would share in the righteousness of Christ. There's a very real sense in which justification happens at the moment of resurrection. Death had not yet been overcome for the Old Testament saints. But they knew the promise of God was certain, and Jesus Christ was the substance of that promise. That's why I try to so often emphasize we receive the whole Christ. My whole identity is found in Christ. That means all his righteousness is mine. When I suffer in this life, it's never punishment in the strict sense of that word. It may be discipline so that I don't stray from the paths that God has called me to, but it's never punishment. I'm never under the wrath of God in the way Jesus was. I may feel the displeasure of God for a time, but even that is an expression of his love. That empower and that truth, that truth that I am righteous before God, that empowers me against the fear of death. Romans 8, of course, says it so powerfully. Nothing can remove me from the love of Christ. And that brings us to our second point. Christ removes the fear of death so that I can have incorruptible life. Christ shares righteousness, his righteousness with us, so that we can begin to live righteously before him. He does that by beginning to work true life in us. As the Catechism says, second by his power, we too are raised up to a new life. In the Bible, life is to be with God, and death is to be separated from God. Life is closely connected to righteousness. The only way to be with God is to have righteousness. The fact that we share in the righteousness of Christ allows us to have the life of Christ as well. We can think of baptism here. The water signifies two things. The blood of Christ and the pouring out of the Spirit. The blood of Christ washes us. And the Spirit comes to effect that unity with the righteousness of Christ and to give us new life. This is regeneration. I die to myself. I die to sin. I die to the old world. 
And in the turn, through faith, the Spirit begins the work of a new life in me. Even before faith, because that faith, of course, comes from the Spirit. That, and that life, that life that Christ, is work, or that Christ and His Spirit are working in me, it's safe. It's hidden at the right hand of God. Hidden in Christ. Safe. Incorruptible. Again, the emphasis is that through the true faith that this Spirit works in me, this life is inalienable. Inalienable means that it cannot be separated. It cannot become alien from me in the old sense of that word alien. The new life cannot become something outside of me. We hear it in uh, Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress. The body they can kill, God's truth abideth still. We could say God's life, God's life that he's working in me through the unity, unity with Christ in the Holy Spirit. We can hear it in 2 Corinthians 4. Paul speaks of his own experience. But it can be, or he, he speaks of him and his fellow workers in the gospel, but it can be applied to all those who participate in the regeneration of God. For we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. We can think here of the Beatitudes as well, where Jesus calls those men who are persecuted, poor in spirit, and hungry for righteousness, blessed and happy. They have the favor of God. They can enjoy the life of God. We enjoy the knowledge of that life even now as our hearts are lifted from the earth to the right hand of God. Our body of death continues to waste away, but the everlasting weight of glory is beginning to find a place in our hearts and lives. I bear the favor and thus also the life of Jesus. So not only does a knowledge of our, our righteousness in, in Christ strengthen us as we stand poor in spirit as the children of God before his throne, but we have his life burgeoning within us. We begin to experience that peace and joy while we live on this earth. And what gives us that peace and joy? Faith. The righteous will live by faith. We can emphasize the word righteous here, how we are right before God. Right? We believe and we receive the righteousness of God. 
We can also emphasize the word live. We live by faith, our life seeking obedience, hungry for righteousness that characterizes those who are faithful. In our living, in our living we constantly subject ourselves to God in faith. Christ said that if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. Again, that's, that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the resurrection. That's what we see in Hebrews 11. Abraham's faith extended over his lifetime as he waited for the work of God in delivering him the promise. Right? If Abraham hadn't believed... Would he have received the land? Would his children have received the land? That was a mountain that Abraham did not know how to move. But through his patience, God brought his children into the land. By faith, too, his wife received Isaac, so that through one man a line was produced that would fill the world with its children. By faith, Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son knowing that this was the line that was promised. I could go on. We have the text of Hebrews 11 before us. This is part of what it means to move mountains by faith. As we look to the promise of God and at, at the same time look at whatever mountains seem to stand in our way, this is, this is good to remember. This... These men are the cloud of witnesses that went before us, and we can imagine many more than what is listed in Hebrews 11. And the author of Hebrews limits himself to Old Testament saints. We can add many saints that have stood faithful in the resurrection of Christ. We have seen the promise. So many more have been added to stand with these saints in Hebrews. We can think of the early Christian martyrs dying by lions and the sword and torture. We can think of missionaries and theologians who discipled nations. We can think of kings and Christian statements, who, statesmen who stood up for God's justice. Their lives were a living out of faith. And they could have the fortitude, the patience to go through the trials that God sent in their way. Through faith, God removed angry kings, shook empires, and change the hearts of thousands. Brothers and sisters, that work is grounded in the power of the resurrection. Let us believe so that he may strengthen us in bearing witness in our trials, so that the righteousness and life of Jesus Christ might manifest themselves in us. Let us believe and he can remove mountains. When we look in retrospect at the, at the past... The stories often seem so seamless, where we can see the, the, the cord, the plot, pushing forward in the story, moving toward triumph. But for those who are in the middle of the story, it wasn't so easy. The patience, holding on to Christ, holding on to the promises, the questions about what the future would bring. But they had the life of Jesus working in them. That brings us to our third point. So I can have an eternal future. We're told in Hebrews that the Old Testament saints did not receive the promise. 
the promise was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We have the promise. We have the king and the kingdom. We have the city that they did not have, that they were looking toward. God takes the final verdict that he will give us at the end of time and offers a declaration of righteousness in the cross of Christ. Christ will be the cornerstone of the city of God. We have everything. We don't need to fear death because we have righteousness. We don't need to fear death because we have an incorruptible life that lies within. Finally, we don't need to fear death because we have the promise that our bodies will be raised. Not only do our spirits have an eternal future, but our bodies have an eternal future. Even though we have a fullness that is unimaginable in our Lord Jesus Christ, there is more. After all, we know in our own lives that sin continues to be a problem, and we desire that that come to an end. So even though we have it all, so to speak, at the same time, we look forward to a fuller expression. Grace builds upon grace. Glory upon glory. If we look at 1 Corinthians 15, we're in the period referred to in verse 24, where Christ is destroying every rule and every authority and power. And in verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. We are in, we are in an in-between time, between the ascension of Christ and the final judgment, after which Christ will deliver the kingdom to the, God the Father. Meanwhile, we are guaranteed a place with our Lord. He's not going to leave us to death. He will not leave our bodies to death. We will be raised. That's the promise. We don't give up our bodies to suffering because we hate the body and love the spirit. Paul doesn't beat his body into submission because he has a problem with his body. It's because Paul desires a greater salvation, a new body. We are hoping for a creation which reflects the original creation, where we don't need to worry about the lusts of the flesh anymore. Why? Because Christ's resurrection is to us a sure promise of our, of our own glorious resurrection. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. God's truth is his promise that that dead body will be raised again. We don't need to store up treasures on earth because a new body is coming where, a new earth is coming where we will receive new bodies, spiritual bodies. That's, that's Paul's language again from 1 Corinthians 15. That doesn't mean ethereal, ghost-like bodies. Rather, that means bodies, just like ours, but ones that are animated by the Spirit of God rather than by our fleshly lusts. We too are looking for a promise, looking for a city, just as the Old Testament saints did. 
In a way, it's here in a reality, a reality which the Old Testament saints did not have. For we have seen the glory of God in Jesus Christ. At the same time, we're looking forward, full of desire to be fully and completely cleansed. But most important of all, that we may no longer see in a mirror dimly, but see our Lord Jesus Christ face to face. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's sing in response from Hymn 53, Martin Luther's famous Reformation hymn, where we sing of our certainty, uh, the certainty we have in Jesus Christ. Hymn 53. Thank you. 